the vault. High atop the pastoral center of the Diocese of Camden, you're listening to Talking Catholic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another edition of Talking Catholic. I'm John Morrow, and with me, as always, is Mike Walsh. Hi, Mike. Hey, Jen. How are you? Um, I'm okay. How are you doing? No, you're not. You just got over food poisoning, and I think it's important that everybody knows that. Uh, really? You're going to share that with everybody? No, here's the reason I'm going to share that is because you did an incredible job this week putting out our newspaper, uh, even though you are basically unable to eat for the better part of 48 hours, stuck at home. We we found out that I really don't need you in the office any longer uh, because (laughs) you can put together an entire edition from your couch in a compromised state. (laughs) That was a truly heroic uh, work you did putting the paper together this week. Well, thank you. I could not do it, obviously, without a team that really stepped up like they would do every week, but uh, filled in a lot of when I was falling down, literally. So, (laughs) yeah, thank you. Uh, It was great. And I also say that, oh, actually, it was just delivered to my desk. I haven't even looked at it yet. So just if anybody notices any errors, um, you know, Jen was compromised. So come on, give her a break. (laughs) (laughs) Full disclosure. Should we just put that on this issue? (laughs) Issue number. If there's any sacrilege or heresy in here, that was the reason why. It was the the demon in her belly, not the demon anywhere else. Volume 71, number 28, the food poisoning edition. Excellent. But uh, but actually, it's a great edition. I do hope people will check it out. I, now, we talk about this on the program all the time, that we really want folks who listen to this podcast, which is sort of an extension of our own Catholic Star Herald. Um, you know, there's Catholic media in almost every diocese in the United States, and, and there's Catholic media that's independent of dioceses all over the place. You, you can't throw a dead cat without hitting you know a Catholic newspaper somewhere. I know that's a phrase I use all the time. I don't know where I picked it up. I apologize to all the cat owners like you, Jen, like like you somehow it is stuck in my head and I just can't get rid of it. Um, One day I'm going to look up and figure out where I found that. But I, to our listeners, you know, if you haven't checked out your local publication for the national publications, I really do encourage you to do it. Uh, There are some truly professional people out there writing and in our case, talking and people who do doing a lot of digital work and online work. Uh, but still plenty of uh, papers themselves that exist. And it's actually a great tragedy that more Catholics don't avail avail themselves of that resource. Uh, Because a lot of the Catholic news that exists or Catholic issues that exist just don't get to play in in the traditional media, the secular media any longer. So it's good that you have these resources if you want to get a truly in-depth accounting of what is going on in, in Catholic news. Uh, I know, Jen, this is something you focus on all the time. Yeah, I think that's really important to note that even if uh, the Catholic news might get some some secular press, it's not always from somebody that's exactly schooled in the issues. I mean, I think we uh, anyone who's a journalist knows that you, you, you do your best. And, and when you're out of your realm, you talk to experts in that in that realm so that you know what you're talking about. But sometimes the the, the articles can be oversimplified. So I think that's another reason that Catholic press is very important so that you can dive a little deeper into what these issues are that are facing our church today from, you know, Catholics who who might study it and understand it a little better. Now, I'm fixating on this topic a little bit because I want to thank our friends to the north who we've had a few crossover episodes. I was listening to uh, Tara and Jerry from the uh, Diocese of Metuchen. 
their podcast, Am I Not Here? And on the podcast, they were discussing um, how it was Catholic Press Month, to which I sat there and went, wait, I'm a member of the Catholic Press. I didn't know it was Catholic Press Month. I need to fix that. So we want to make sure that everybody we know now knows that it's Catholic Press Month. I also want to point out uh, Tara and uh, Jerry seem to have a great deal of concern that I was going to steal their guest, uh, who their, their guest was that day, uh, with the idea of bringing her into our own fold because she's moved from North Jersey to South Jersey. And I want them to know that they should fear. That, that, that's, that's a very likely scenario because I will steal talent anywhere. I stole you from the Diocese of Trenton. I will steal others from elsewhere. I want good people. And I got news for you. The folks across the other side of the river in Philadelphia, I am not above stealing their people too. So <laughs> it's a word of warning to everyone. I'm a thief. Oh, <laughs> um, well, Mike, I think we should uh, introduce our guests. And I think it's important to note that you might not have known it was Catholic Press Month, but I knew it was Catholic Press Month. As uh, the you're... editor of the Catholic Star Herald, I would like to <laughs> make that known that even through food poisoning, I did know that. So would that be okay with you if we introduce our guests? That would be a great, um, I would actually, I'm actually very excited because of the guests we got. They, we, they all jumped on at the very last minute and they were very kind enough to give us some of their time and they are a murderer's row of Catholic journalists. So yes, please, Jen, uh, introduce them. All right, great. So uh, I'm joining us on the podcast today. We have J.D. Long Garcia. He's a senior editor at America Magazine and the past president of the Catholic Media Association. Welcome, JD. Thanks for having me. We also have Matthew Gambino, editor of CatholicPhilly.com, the new site of the Archdiocese of Philadelphia. Hi, Matt. Good afternoon, Jen. And with us also, of course, we have our own Pete Sanchez, staff writer of the Catholic Star Herald and co-host of the award-winning Talking Saints podcast. Hey, Pete. Thank you, Jen. Good afternoon. So thank you all for joining us on the podcast to talk about Catholic Press. So I want to start out talking about, um, you know, a little bit about what it is that you do and how you got into Catholic journalism. Maybe we could start with JD. Uh, I started and... Um, I started in Catholic Press uh, basically because I got my PhD application rejected and I needed to get a job, you know. So um, uh, the the student loans were coming due, and my mom was like, "Hey, you know, maybe you should get a job. You studied journalism, you know. Why don't you, you know?" So um, so anyway, so uh, I'm uh, actually here from uh, I'm in Mesa, Arizona, uh, but uh, but back then I was as well, and I started working for the Diocese of Phoenix, so uh, I got a job working for the Catholic Sun newspaper, and I worked there for about nine years, and then uh, got a job working at the Archdiocese of Los Angeles at the, the, their diocesan newspaper um, for, uh, gosh, I think it was about three and a half years or something, I don't know, uh, and, uh, and then I've been in America for about the last four years, I guess, so um, yeah, and it's been it's it's a it's a real blessing to to be a part of Catholic media, and I, I guess they don't have Catholic uh, press parades uh, in your <laughs> neck of the woods because we've had parades every day here, so it's <laughs> to forget, I guess. But uh, if you don't have the parades, but um, but anyways, just being able to really put into practice uh, the discipline of journalism uh, and and also my faith, it's 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 hard to get any better than this for me and uh, and it's learning from uh, my peers and but also from the all the beautiful people that I think I, we get a chance to to meet in our work that um, just inspire 
inspired me to be a better Catholic. Uh, and um, so, yeah, so it's, it's, I'm happy to be on the podcast and talking to you guys. Thanks for joining us, JD. How about you, Matt? Uh, Matt and I met a few times and uh, I, that was a, a veiled threat to him earlier when I said I might steal folks from the, uh, the great archdiocese of Philadelphia, but you know, I'm sure I'll be kind about it. Well, if you'd like a challenge, Mike, there's a challenge for you. Go ahead. <laughs> Just don't steal my people. <laughs> yeah. So uh, about a million years ago, I was a seminarian in St. Charles Seminary in Philadelphia. And um, uh, a professor said, hey, son, where'd you learn how to write so well? And I said, public high school. And then he got off the floor and said, you didn't go to Catholic school? And I said, no, I didn't. Um, so, uh, I was just minding my own business when an upperclassman in the seminary who was running the seminary newsletter got mono and was basically asleep for six months. And they said, Hey, listen, we need somebody to run the newsletter. You need to talk to people that, you know, then you can assign stories to, you need to edit their copy when it comes back, put a headline and get a photo and put together the publication. And so, that began then. And when I got out of the seminary, I uh, happened to uh, my, they were the Catholic Standard and Times, which is the Philadelphia newspaper, ran a circulation campaign that came to my house. And my dad saw an ad for, hey, look, Matt, they're looking for a sports editor at the Catholic Standard and Times. So I had left the seminary. So I thought, well, I need a job. So um, I uh, got into it. And it might strike some people as strange that a Catholic newspaper could have a sports editor. Uh, but at the time, there were 18 Catholic high schools owned by the archdiocese, plus another half dozen Catholic academies. And there still are 15 archdiocesan high schools. So we have our own um, you know, NCAA thing going on here just on the high school level. So I got into Catholic journalism thanks to mononucleosis and a circulation campaign. And that was 1989 when I started, like I said, almost a million years ago. And uh, I've done some secular newspapers. I was editor for some community newspapers and um, some online stuff from the dot-com boom was booming. And then when it was no longer booming, I got back into print. And um, I've been the editor of the Catholic Standard and Times and since 2012, catholicphilly.com, which is the digital successor of the Catholic Standard and Times, all that since 2012. Uh, I mean, since 2007. So we're coming up on 15 years sitting in this chair in Philadelphia. That's great. Congratulations. I always love to hear these stories of how everybody got into journalism because it's always like an accident or somebody's friend said, hey, you should do this. It's, <laughs> I love that. Pete, I, I feel like yours is going to be a calling. Pete, tell us about how you got into Catholic journalism. Well, I think it started with my love of writing. Um, and reading, I, I still have fond memories of reading uh, Jason Stark, sports writer um, in the Philadelphia Inquirer um, growing up as a kid. And um, then going into high school and college, I was first a sports editor in high school. And then in college, I was entertainment editor at St. Joseph's University, Go Hawks, good Jesuit, uh, good Jesuit <laughs> Academy. Um and then uh, after graduate school, I, I went there for um, undergrad and grad, and uh, I needed to find a job. And one of my good friends, her, his mother, saw an ad in the Star Herald and said, you know, they, I think Mike knew I needed a job. And he said, hey, my mom found this. So, and kind of like what JD was saying about discipline between journalism and faith, 
it was around this time in college uh, that I was getting involved in more campus ministry and service. And I thought it'd be a nice synthesis to kind of, um, well, I, I can write. Why won't I not hide it under a bushel basket, but decide to um, decide to utilize it uh, for the faith? And it's that was uh, 2007, January 2007, when I started. So I'm coming up on 16 years. Wow. Think about it. I'm not good at math. So I was. <laughs> that's, why, that's why you're a writer. Course. Yeah, no journalists are going to Yeah, yeah. So um, it's been a great ride so far. Don't worry, Pete. That's that's literally why I married an accountant because I, I would be destitute if I was left to my own devices because <laughs> I too can't do math. But it, it, you're, it is funny that uh, everyone, you know, Jen and I have talked about our own paths a couple of times before on the podcast. Uh, I will admit that mine was actually intentional. I was my goal. Well, you know, I was about to say my goal was to be a reporter, and I just remembered it wasn't the case. I had intended to be a teacher, and uh, that did not materialize. So because I was I was able to take a photograph and put string three words together, I decided to start pitching myself as a uh, as a reporter elsewhere. And that's if I, oh my goodness, I never thought about it. If I had become a teacher, my entire life would be different right now. I'm sure I'd be more miserable and I'm so happy here. You've never thought about that? You've never thought about if your life took a different path? I, I, I actively avoid thinking about my past because ah. like no good can come of that. So, yeah. You know, but, Michael, and Jen, I was just going to ask, I mean, it seems like from a previous podcast, if I'm not mistaken, you were uh, kind of maybe it was just self-deprecating about your ability to take photos. Uh, there's something like that, that I, I feel like I heard that recently. I mean, uh, so maybe you missed your calling as a teacher. I mean, I'm just putting that out there. You know what? You might be onto something. I would be an award-winning teacher uh, instead of a non-award-winning uh, podcaster and middling photographer that's a good point i have your jd now i am truly sad about my life thank you i appreciate that I'm gonna go hey, happy catholic me. press month you know to the parades you need to get out to the parades more mike <laughs> well you know what uh, i'll tell you something hey now this now jen has not had the experience out of going to a catholic media association conference uh much to her chagrin Pete's been to at least one. I've been to two, I think. And I tell everyone that they really need to go to them. Uh, anybody who's in the, in the press world, because that's actually exactly what it is. It is a three-day parade of some of the greatest Catholic media talent you'll ever see. It's a great opportunity for those of us who have kind of left journalism behind us and entered into the dark and murky world of PR as a communications director, where we can all get together with our fellow Catholics and kind of commiserate a little bit. But um, but it is it is true, though, uh, being around other journalists, which is one of the reasons we were actually looking forward to this podcast uh, and sort of I, I will admit that I get energized when I'm around other folks. Although Jen also noticed when we had our friends from a touch and up uh, boy, does the boy does it's a lot of dark humor. It's a lot of you know, <laughs> we, we enjoy the dark humor. Um, now, Matt, you know, I wanted to kind of talk to you a little bit about your time in Philadelphia because you 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 have gone through some trials and tribulations, sir. You, Somebody mentioned dark humor. <laughs> yes, but you have come through it uh, gloriously. Um, you know, you were there when the Standard and Times was still in existence, and then and then it wasn't, and somehow you were told go make this work digitally. And I, I've always meant wanted to ask you, you know, what was that transition like for you? 
Well, I mean, nobody did mention anything. Oh, no. No, and basically, uh, you know, I was supposed to be getting good, solid financial information, which I wasn't until I stamped my feet and got the information and found out we were broke. Mm. Ever since I've tracked every cent that comes in and out. (laughs) But at any rate, um, no, we, we couldn't continue. We couldn't put out another issue. And I, the two options of waiting to be told what to do and doing nothing were not options. It was up to me to do something. So we had had a website for the Catholic Standard and Times going back to 1997. I know because I made it. <laughs> um, I was one of the first people to get into America Online and Netscape. And I thought, I work at a Catholic newspaper, and this Catholic newspaper should have a website. I didn't know how to do it, but I learned. I taught myself. And I moved on into secular media shortly after that. But the website continued, had several different iterations. So when I came back in 2007, there it was still. Um, By 2011, we rebranded a really clunky URL to something easy for people to remember, which was Mm catholicphilly.com. So a year later, when the print publication folded, literally, what did we do? Well, let's continue to do what we can with the property, the brand that we have. We're going to make this brand a household name in the Philadelphia area. Well, it's taken us almost 10 years now, and we've becoming a household name. People have more or less ceased calling us philly.com, phillycatholic.com, and now they're pretty much zoning in on catholicphilly.com, and I feel it's a great accomplishment because um, that's one of the hardest things to do in all of business is establish a brand. Mm-hmm. So we went from a microscopic audience of those people who were interested in Catholic news, but no longer wanted to print newspaper, bringing those people together with the people who wanted to print newspaper, but no longer could have one. And the digital was what they had to learn. And we found that it's hard to change behavior. So what we need to do is let's meet the people where they are. So we came up with something they could easily use, which is email. An email newsletter pushes the content to them. And all they need to do is find something in that dozen or dozen and a half items every week that they like, which is basically a cross section of the whole website from the whole week. Even though we publish every day, new content every day, this newsletter represents a snapshot of a week. So people click on that and they read the content that they would read in the newspaper. Now, we still have some ways to go because a lot of people think the newsletter is all that we are. They don't even realize when they're clicking on an item, they're going to the website, catholicphilly.com. But again, we'll get there. We'll meet them where they are and we'll continue to serve their needs. And our mission, whether it's digital or it's in print, remains the same. It's to inform, to inspire, and to form readers in the Catholic faith. And uh, we don't have an agenda with this. We don't have things that we need to, boxes we need to check for ideology we have a mission, and it's that mission, and we think with the church, which doesn't make us many friends, can make us some enemies sometimes, but we play everything right down the middle with a sense of mission. Well, I'll tell you, Matt, I am a subscriber, and I have been a subscriber for years to the, uh, to the email, and I, uh, I'm happy to say I steal ideas from you guys all the time. So, thanks. Highest form of flattery. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> You're very welcome. Uh, and actually, I will tell you that you're, we have on several occasions 
had the thought that we need to start putting together an email newsletter as well for the exact same reasons. Fortunately, our printed issues is, is, is in good health. But um, I've often said that that is one uh, element in our toolbox that is currently empty. And uh, one of these days, I'm going to figure out a way of getting it done on a regular basis. We tested our waters. We tested the waters a few uh, years ago, and it didn't quite work out. So I think it's about time. Now that we're post-pandemic, now it's time to start focusing on it again. Although that, that must have been, you know, Matt, just one follow-up. I have to imagine being fully digital uh, really set you up well for the pandemic life. Absolutely right, Mike. And we were already fully digital. We were not in print at all. Um, so when we had to go to the winds to our home and uh, try to coordinate people from their homes, it was actually pretty easy. Um, we publish on a, uh, an environment, a digital environment that's not tied to the diocese so that if anything were to happen at the diocese server, we wouldn't be you know, in bad shape. We're on a third-party public server that is globally redundant. So uh, when we had periods of peak traffic, I could send a quick email at 11 o'clock from the theater, which I did once, and ask the, the vendor to open up a bandwidth a little bit more. We're getting a lot more traffic. Um, all our files are kept on um, a third-party file server, um, Google Drive. Um, our email was through Gmail uh, and other sources. Our videos were all through YouTube. Our podcasts were through SoundCloud all these third-party secular vendors that we never skipped a beat. We talked as a staff every day. We emailed and texted throughout the day. We actually put up more content during the pandemic than we ever did uh, because it was a really news intensive time. People wanted information and we gave them all that we could. So being digital really sent our numbers through the roof. That's you know, fantastic. What a, yeah, what a great learning curve, too. I mean, you know, like you've already gone through that real boom of that those journalist technology boom, which was, I would say, what, 2006 to 2012 or anyway, they, it all just changed so fast right in those areas. But then to switch again during during COVID. But I, I think it's also important to notice that the consumers, they, they've changed as well, and whether it's Catholic journalism or secular, how they get the news. Mm-hmm. Did you find them responsive to to what you were doing? Yeah, I mean, we've noticed that obviously um, traffic coming from our newsletter is the most engaged. It's our highest quality traffic because they're most engaged. Those folks tend to spend more time on the site than anybody else. We know because we can track where they're coming from. We know that they not only watched the story or the video or the photos when they clicked on the newsletter, they actually saw other pieces of content around the website. And we've designed the site to be able to engage them so that we have multiple points of interest all around the website. We also know that people coming from the Archdiocese of Philadelphia's website were also a leading referrer. So people wanted information about their church. They knew something about the Archdiocese. They had a link bookmarked. They went there. We had a widget installed on the Archdiocese website that updated Catholic Philly's content constantly in real time so that people would see new content all the time. We were very dynamic, almost a Catholic CNN type of thing. Mm-hmm. And finally, we made a real concerted effort 10 years ago to take keywords, also known as SEO, um, to put those keywords into every piece of content we have, because we know one of the other leading referrers, those people, the things that deliver traffic to us is search. People go on to Google and they search for terms. Well, we make sure those keyword terms are in all the content that we do so people can find us. Um, it's an odd way of doing 
evangelization, if you like, but it is effective. And we found that to be a, a highly successful way to have people consider material that they might not have found by having to remember CatholicPhilly.com. All you have to do is remember Google and who could forget. JD, I, I love hearing stories when, when Catholic, the Catholic world uses great technology that's out there in the secular world and brings it in for, for the, our mission-based purposes. You know, JD, I, now you're the only person uh, currently who's, a non, who's non-diocesan affiliated on this call. And I, I had a couple of questions for you as well related to your time in America. Now, certainly you have a diocesan background, but as an independent journalist, a, a journalist for an independent Catholic news source like America, um, you know, do you feel that's given you a bit more freedom than you had in the old days to pursue stories? Yeah, that's real. Um, that's real interesting. I, I, I kind of struggle with the uh, for the last four years the the role at a national publication versus at a local publication. I think that one of the really important things for me as a journalist is always having that community connection. So like how you get stories, you're like, you know, somebody, somebody hears about it or there's somebody at your parish that tells you about this or that or the other. And, you know, I can only file so many stories about Mesa, Arizona and America, you know what I'm saying? So, uh, uh, so like, it's, it's, it's been a challenge that, that national dimension um, there, there are some things that are more um, that maybe I feel more free to cover uh, but uh, but I think in general, the trying to find that connection with the community and really allowing those on the margins to speak through uh, Catholic media, I mean, that's something that I've, I don't know, I, I've tried to do in my career and I've tried to do it in America. And, um, and I think it's kind of essential, similar to what, you know, just echo the role of Catholic media and evangelization that Matt alluded to. I think that the you know, there's a there's a way in which in Catholic media, whether it's in journalism or other kinds of communication, where we're trying to help our our audience have a better relationship with God, but that also we're, we're also trying to uh, enable our audiences to have a better relationship with one another, right? Mm-hmm. To love God and to love neighbor, and so I think that like in Catholic journalism, at its best, I think it's when we're demonstrating that kind of love of neighbor, and we're able to. Uh, be a medium for solidarity with with people who are suffering injustice and call attention to those things. So um, I don't know. I, I feel like I had within both, and in, in, in it could just be my, my experience. Like you said, Michael, there's Catholic uh, media all over, uh, like uh, Dead Cats. Uh, I'm sorry, I'm probably getting that wrong. Um, I'm, aller- I'm, I'm, I'm allergic to cats, uh, but uh, but anyway. So, uh, but anyway, so there's Catholic outlets all over the place. So I'm sure everybody has a different experience. In my experience, both in Phoenix and Los Angeles, I was given quite a quite a bit of room to to do that kind of reporting that I thought was really important. Um, and I'm doing that in America as well, uh, just at a more national level. So I guess that the the only the, the restriction that I don't see is, it's geography. Uh, but that's, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm still navigating my way through that. <laughs> I think that's a good point that you just mentioned though, when you were saying that you know, there's Catholic media all over the place. Do you think for anybody on the call, do you think uh, on, on the podcast, do you that most of our Catholic population knows about Catholic media? I think they have a sense of it from growing up. Uh, at least in the Philadelphia region, um, if you went to a Catholic school, and so many Catholics did, 
they were enculturated. Um, the Catholic culture has various hallmarks and information was one of them. So I think they kind of grew up with a sense of what the Catholic media, in this case, the newspaper, the standard, or people would always say, no matter what age they were, oh yeah, I remember the standard when I was in school. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think there is that kind of latent memory, but it's changed so much. Catholic media has changed a great deal. This, this podcast is one example of it. So I think that um, it's not so enculturated as it used to be, but people are inundated with media of all kinds. So there's the challenge, I think, for Catholic media to be found in the marketplace of media, whether that's websites, social media platforms, uh, podcasts, we need to be where the people are. Um, Let's be honest. We don't see as many of our fellow Catholics as we used to in worship spaces and faith formation events and so forth. But our fellow Catholics and so many other Christians of all people are thoroughly saturated in our media culture. And that's where our Catholic communications needs to be. So Pete, you've, uh, you've got a long career now as a, as a reporter in in Catholic world, you know, and you started, I would dare say that, so you started in 2007. I would say that uh, the life has changed a little bit for you over those years. But as someone yes. who's been reporting, yeah, as someone who's been reporting in the same area, though, for for this time, um, I'm curious, you know, what kind of keeps keeps getting you out of bed to to write these stories? Well, just uh, wanting to, it's it's the people who I go and see in in Kennedy County or Camden, right here, where uh, where my office is, or um, or Atlantic City, just kind of. That is, it's the people who inspire me every day, the priests, the religious, the laity. Um, I did a story last uh, Saturday, World Day for Consecrated Life. I met this, uh, this religious sister who was celebrating 60 years. And she had the fervor. She, it's just amazing. She, she was not weary at all. She still had that joy of the gospel, the joy of Christ in her. And I could tell it had been with her every day of her 60 years. And just individuals like her um, or the youth um, going out to the National Catholic Youth Conference in uh, Indianapolis, and you have hundreds of thousands of youth in the Lucas Oil Stadium but you could hear a pin drop because they're all kneeling in front of the Eucharistic adoration. So just those beautiful moments, um, that's what I don't want to say I'm chasing them, but I, 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 um, my faith is just so built up by the individuals I meet every day. And it's just such a blessing and a privilege to tell their stories. Um, and I, I feel I feel the responsibility. I need to make sure I get it right. I need to make sure I I um I, I do right by them um, because they're just such great people. The individuals I meet in the six counties of uh, New Jersey, or going out to uh, 2015 when the Pope was uh, in Philadelphia, um, or at the Catholic Media Conference where I met JD, um, and I've seen him. A few times, I think, in Denver and Indianapolis and Green Bay, just 
just it, it it's just great just to meet these people who build me up uh, in the faith and um, as a writer and. And that's one thing that I found very different than from secular press versus Catholic press is, you know, I, th- I think at the end, uh, when I was in secular, which I enjoyed, I, I also love to tell, you know, you're telling stories, you're reporting on the news, but when you're in Catholic press, you get to take it a little step further because you're, you're looking at it through a lens of, of, of a Catholic Christian is, is that, it, you know, kind of, J.D., you talked yeah. about a little bit, too, of, like, justice and, and, and or charity, you know, whereas in secular, you might be assigned to something where I'm going to cover a car accident or a fire or other things like that, whereas in, in, your, in Catholic press, you're, you can be covering those things, absolutely, but you're doing it maybe through a different lens, through a, uh, through a char- charitable lens or, or justice, if there's some justice being done here, so... I, you know, we even even talked a little bit about evangelization. I, I feel like being a, a Catholic a Catholic journalist or be able to see that through a Christian lens is is it's kind of it's an honor and it's a calling. It's the way I look at it. Are you saying that you also, still have? I, I'm sorry, Jen. Do you say are you saying that you still have the enthusiasm of a woman religious celebrating her 60th jubilee? No. I do not. Okay. No. <laughs> Neither do I, but I hope to. I hope to when I've done this job for 60 years. I'll be 100. But. So what do you, do you guys have any thoughts about our responsibility as, as Catholic journalists um, when it comes to our consumers? You know, especially, you know, we're, we're reaching our, our audiences on so many different platforms now, like you said, Matt. Um, what about what is our responsibility of helping our consumers um, do the same when it is like preventing sharing of disinformation or you know advice for our consumers to find legitimate news sites? Do you do you have any advice there or thoughts? I, I just want to um, maybe cut in and say first of all that, that uh, what a privilege it is to be on a call with both Pete and with Matt because I I've known them for many years in the Catholic press and I admire their work very much and um, so to say that um, and then I'm I'm about to say something about uh, print journalism and so I don't want to get in a fight with Matt or anything but uh, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding I, but I'm a big fan of print and I think that um, uh, just just as far as the, the earlier question about like how Catholic media is known. I think that like in, in, in LA, we, we did a transformation from the tidings to Angelus. And, um, and I would run into people w- doing stories where they said, oh, I used to sell a subscription to the tidings. Oh, many years ago, whatever. And, and it, that, that kind of relationship that I feel like Catholic media had decades ago, I don't think that we have the same one today. Um, and I think that like the, um, your question about like uh, the, the, I mean, the, the way that I'm hearing of it, but the responsibility of Catholic journalism to be truthful and to be like a, 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 a be a source of reliable news, I think is really important. Um, and I think that like the with some of the industry trends in cap in, in in media in general are are more about generating attention, 
And, uh, and, and so, <laughs> it, I don't know, this, this we could go on on this for a long time, but like we, we tend to receive our news now through social media platforms instead of going directly to, to websites or whatnot. And, and then and what do you get queued up for you? It's like, oh, well, this is something I really agree with. Uh, oh, it turns out I was right all along, you know? Uh, so I love this person. So I'm going to follow this person because he or she already agrees with me or whatever. And so I think that part of the challenge in, in, in Catholic media is to resist that. I mean, we, we sometimes, oftentimes, I think, have to tell people things that they don't want to hear. <laughs> you know, I mean, the, the, it's not like, you know, uh, uh, Jesus went around and the things that he said, it's like, oh, well, of course, Jesus, we've been doing that the whole time. No, it, it was it was kind of controversial uh, uh, and not kind of at all. You know, it, it was it was like a when he was laying down the law, uh, it, it, it ruffled a lot of feathers. And I think that that that's a struggle. And I think that like a. In many ways, uh, I work for a magazine that's run by the Jesuits, and we all run for, work for the church in some way. I think it's it's very uh, liberating to to have that kind of support to be able to tell the things that need to be told. So we can tell a truth that I would argue is more complete uh, because we have a certain degree of independence uh, because of because of the the support that we have to, to actually say those things. It doesn't necessarily have to be popular. And I feel like sometimes in other media, more secular outlets, they're more concerned with pleasing their audiences. And I don't mean that we don't care about what our audiences do. I think we need to pay attention to that. Matt was talking about how the, uh, technology enables us to really know what's working and what's not. Um, but at the same time, to to really talk about the hard truths uh, of the faith and some of the hard realities that are out there that make people uncomfortable. So, um, so yeah, I think it's, it's a great calling and a great responsibility. And, um, and sometimes we're in a position where I, th I think we were called to prayer, to, to pray about things. I repeat something you were talking about. I hope I write the story correctly. I, I mean, so many times I, someone shares like the story that I just don't feel like I'm worthy to tell. And I, I have to bring it to prayer. It's like, God, can you please help me with this one? Because like, there is no way I am not a good enough writer to tell the story. And, uh, uh, and sometimes he helps, you know, uh, and if it doesn't work, you know, if you ask God for help and it doesn't work, then you can just blame God afterwards. Like, well, I asked for help, you know? So, um, but anyways, I, I, I think it's a great, great, great calling and responsibility. And it's, uh, and it's one that I think that sometimes our secular colleagues don't have to face. Uh, um, maybe the, well, I should say, maybe they're not free to face because they have those other pressures, you know? Yeah. You said something, JD, that Jen and I often, in our dark way, we'll, we'll kind of joke about when uh, we're looking at the layout of the paper and um, you know, Jen, Jen has complete authority to put anything in it. She wants, and then I'll, I'll walk in and see what's laid out on the page. And I'll look at the page and go, man, are we going to get letters tomorrow? That is going to generate some, some conversation. <laughs> and, uh, and then I always say, and that number you want is jennifer.moro at candidiocese.org. <laughs> Um, the, uh, but it's true though, you know, and I, that is actually very liberating, JD, is that we get to, we get to talk about things from a position that, that has tradition and truth behind it, which is actually is, has buoyed me many times when we've had to make those hard decisions about what we were going to put in the paper, what we we're going to put online and knowing that I was going to irritate somebody and feeling quite comfortable with it because it was it's something that needs to be said even though even though it's maybe hard to read which let's face it in the last particularly in the last six or seven years 
I've explained, and I've, we talked about this in the podcast before, you know, the Catholic population and the American population at large are actually quite similar. They, they, you have people who are very conservative, you have people who are very progressive, and here we are in the Catholic Church, very rarely appealing to both sides simultaneously. Uh, I, I've been saying for years we have a life and justice department um, that's currently unfilled, and there's a part of me that would really like to separate those two, because I'm not sure that they always go hand in hand, uh, not so much in their beliefs, but in the audiences they appeal to. You know, you have a lot of social justice folks and you have a lot of right to life folks. And sometimes those are not two groups that are going to see eye to eye on a lot of things. So it's very difficult to find a person who can speak to those two groups authentically without offending anybody. But it's, it's an uphill climb. Um, Jen, I'm curious, has there ever been a time either here now or in your previous life in the Diocese of Trenton where, you know, you were you had to pray about putting something in or writing something that uh, you just weren't sure was going to end well. Was going to end oh, I well. Love, I love asking Jen hard questions. This is <laughs> the best. It's so rare. She doesn't have a response. I'm excited. <laughs> it, it is rare. Well, what do you mean didn't end well? Um, I mean, I definitely agree with JD that there have been articles where I you've come from from somebody's home or somebody's personal situation. And you sit down and say, how am I going to do that justice? Because, you know, I've never been through anything like that. So, you know, which is what we're called to do every day as journalists, putting yourself in a situation that you more than likely have never been in. But when it's specifically moving or touching, you don't want to get it not You don't want to get it wrong, like Pete said, with the details, but you don't want to get it wrong with the with the spirit of the article. So, yes, I have had that, if, if, that's, if that's what you mean, yes. And then on the other hand, I've also come back from events so filled with the Holy Spirit because you know that you, what you're writing about that you do get to take the Catholic stance that it just flows out and, and doesn't stop with, with your, what you're talking about with life and justice and I think I've spoken about it on this on this program before about reporting on the the New Jersey law now which is the, the right to die to, to take your own life but, but with you know medically um so when that legislation was still moving through through, through Trenton and going and meeting these people who had um, terminal illnesses who did not want that legislation to pass and also meeting those who did want it to pass and the doctors on both sides and legislatures. So legislators. So yeah, I mean you you come home come home come home from that and and you write on it, but with the Catholic uh, with the catechism and what we believe behind it that just flows out in that way. What about you, Matt? Um, any thoughts about uh, what, what we're talking about right now, especially when we were also talking about, you know, finding legitimate news sources and, and stopping the disinformation? Yeah, well, I mean, d disinformation, uh, you know, I've, as I said earlier, I, I think it's important to play it right down the middle, is to be honest and tell the truth. And if it's going to offend somebody, it's going to offend somebody. Um, you know, whether that's um, teachings and, well, really news events about uh, the pro-life movement, or that's news events about immigration. Um, both those issues are lightning rods. Um, but one thing that everybody can agree on is disdain for the news that they read. And in my 14 years as editor, um, boy, we had stories where everybody hated us for telling the story, but we told it anyway. You know, we uh, at one point we were uh, the diocese finances were $14 million in the red operationally. 
We had $350 million in unpaid obligations. We had a grand jury report on clergy sexual abuse. Oh, not one, but two. We had a statewide grand jury. We had, um, you know, uh, all kinds of problems, bad news. I mean, as bad as it could be. And I had to report on real estate, had a report on uh, law, had a report on finance, um, in addition to pro-life and immigration. So um, the thing that I find that we do have to inform people, we have to tell them the truth. Catholic readers deserve to hear the truth from their church. And in my case, they, des they deserve to hear it first or as soon as possible. Coming from the position of this is your church serving you, you might hear some of the story through secular media. You might not hear all of it. Um, you might not hear, um, you know, what the diocese has tried to do about this situation, whatever it is. But the thing that I find really that excites me is not all those I would call institutional stories, stories that we have to tell because that's part of our mission. It's the stories when I go to a parish and I get to meet ordinary people living their Catholic faith in the world that we live in. And they are unsung heroes, so many Catholics who are just trying to be disciples of Christ the best they can today. And um, I get to do that by listening and looking around and observing their city neighborhood, observing their suburban town, which is a lot like so many other suburban towns, or their little country parish, whatever that might be, boy, what a privilege it is for me to listen to them and to tell others about what I'm hearing and what I'm seeing. And that's where it gets to the inspiration part of that mission I mentioned, the mission to inform, to form, but also to inspire. And I think hearing about other Catholics living their faith the best they can with all the family troubles and all the other troubles there are out there, what a great, joyful experience that can be. Uh, Matt, listening to you talk makes me happy to, to do the job I do. Now, I'm going to get a phone call in about 10 minutes. It's going to make me hate my job. But thank you for giving me 10 minutes of joy while I, You're welcome. While I appreciate those, those quality words. Um, you know, J.D., I, I wanted to ask you a little bit, since you are a past president of the Catholic Media Association, formerly known as the Catholic Press Association, you know, you were the leading cheerleader for several years of Catholic press. I'm curious, did that uh, alter your perspective? Did it uh, make you more joyful about our role? Yeah, well, uh, cheerleading can be very difficult. Uh, it's physically very taxing uh, and uh, it's a lot of stretching involved. Did, did, I'm just going to ask before I answer that, Michael, did, did, did you give Matt the questions ahead of time? Like, I'm, no, I, uh, I know. Honestly, Isn't it irritating? He's so polished. He's so good. Yeah. $100 well spent, Mike. That is, that is a guy who's known his job. Well, there you go. That is a guy who's known his job for a long time and he just rolled off. Because I got news for you. I do not sound that polished. I, it has actually been noted by a reviewer recently who said that um, they appreciated the fact that we sounded like normal people and not, uh, you know, not well polished. So I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing, yeah. but Matt's ruining it. Because he's, he's yeah right he's too yeah. good at this. <laughs> That's sort of a compliment. Yeah, I I uh, I was uh, uh, the the president uh, of the Catholic Media Association now the Catholic Press Association when I started. Uh, you know, kind of transitioned while I was president, but um, and uh, managed not to get impeached, which I, uh, apparently it's 
it's not always easy to do these days, but uh, but anyway, so I, I made it through, and um, but it was easy to be a proponent and a cheerleader for Catholic media because I because of the the love that I personally have for it and the experience that I had in doing it, um, and a lot of the things that we've been sharing already. The the challenges I think a lot of dioceses are asking themselves themselves questions, the leaders of the diocese are asking themselves what they should do next. Uh, and, uh, and it's easy to, uh, you know, have a kind of a cookie cutter answer for that. And it's, you know, like what we know in our church from subsidiarity that <laughs> you have to address each one individually in, in its unique circumstance. So, um, so, you know, like what's, what's right in Philadelphia may not be right in LA, may not be right in Portland, et cetera. Um, but the, but the idea of, of what we do as Catholic communicators, what we do in Catholic media, uh, it's very clear in church teaching, like Intermorifica uh, and uh, some of the things that Cardinal Foley uh, wrote um, when he was with us, that Catholic media is not just like an, like an appendix to what the church does. Like we are, we are core. We are like a really uh, essential part of how the church carries out her mission uh, to save souls. And, uh, and so that's very uh, empowering and to try to figure out ways and to be supportive of other local churches, different dioceses, et cetera, uh, and how they're, they're facing their struggles. I think it was very, I mean, it was a gift to, to have that role. I'm still on the board of directors and that's what we're basically trying to do is trying to help people and support people as they're facing a, a, a landscape, a profession that's constantly changing. <laughs> you know, when I started, there, Twitter didn't exist. Uh, so, you know, it's been it's been a whirlwind. It continues to change. And, um, and I think that that's the challenge for us and the calling for us to continue to adapt, to be able to communicate and reach people. Um, you know, a lot of times people that, that aren't usual Catholics, the, the, the benefit of, I think, the, the newsletter, but also the website focus is that sometimes we're reaching people that don't, don't usually, we don't reach with our diocesan publications. Those are usually folks that either they sign up or we, uh, if you're at a diocese, fortunate enough to be at a diocese that has like a mandate for their subscription, mm -hmm. um, which I was in Phoenix. I mean, we had a circulation <laughs> of 130,000. It was amazing. Wow. But, um, wow. Um, Oh yeah, it was. I mean, uh, uh, even I could sell ads in that thing. You know, it was it was uh, uh, it was it was a huge circulation. Uh, and um, but anyways, but 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 those are all already folks that are coming to church. Uh, and I think the challenge with Catholic media, and I would say, I mean, I know you guys just recently covered the synod in a, a recent podcast as well. You guys are doing good things at the diocese. It sounds like. Um, but but like the challenge of the synod is also not to <laughs> just hear from the same people. Right. So in, in Catholic media, I think our challenge is to to reach the people that aren't coming to mass yet, um, and um, and that's that's something we have to that that that, uh, that equation I think is one that, that's constantly changing. So you have a lot of work to do, Jen. I'm just telling you, I know. It's like <laughs> just, just keep on that. Same thing for you, Pete. As my as my two colleagues that I see every day, um, I on the other well, hand first, have given up writing, so I don't need to worry about this. <laughs> I think first, all three of us, uh, Mike, you'll take some photos. Pete will report, and I think I'll just supervise. Uh, we're going to the parade out where JD is because oh, there's a yeah. lot of mm -hmm. cheerleading, stretching, and parading going on out there. So, <laughs> and it's and it's great weather here in Mesa, anyway. You know, so not to brag, but um, haven't yeah. seen snow this year, so. <laughs> All right, sold. We're there. 
the uh, well, as we as we wrap up the podcast, we just have a few minutes left, and uh, we may lose Matt by the end of this. He's going to jump onto another call. And so I want to say before he leaves, Matt, thank you very much for for joining us. And this was a bit an absolute pleasure. And actually, I should apologize that uh, you and I probably work about ten miles from each other, and uh, but there's a river in the way, and I haven't had you over before, so I apologize. But we were going to have to do this in person at some point too. Let's do that. Yes. Thanks, Mike, and thanks for everyone. Good to spend time with you. Thanks, Matt. You too, Matt. Thank you. I was just thinking I should have worked on my Matt impression. So after he drops off the call, you know, we could just do it seamlessly. And nobody would notice, you know, I don't think but anybody's I, that smooth, JD. I got to yeah, be honest well, with you. I'm not yeah. sure. I am not. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> no, none are my you, Matt. Wow. I'm just good, great to meet you, Matt. <laughs> the, um, but, uh, you know, I was threatening to steal people from Philly. He didn't realize I was talking about him. So there you go. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> <laughs> the, uh, Jen, I am, this is a very good idea, by the way, because uh, we don't get to commiserate with our fellow journalists very often. And I, I, I refer to myself as a journalist and essentially name only because I'm the associate publisher of the uh, paper. I realize what I am. I'm a, I'm a terrible PR flack, but uh, I do have responsibility of the yeah. paper. And as a, in that responsibility, I will tell people all the time, even though I've been a PR guy for almost 20 years now, 20 years now. Yeah. Um, uh, I have a an unfailing love of media, uh, whether it be secular or or Catholic. I think the work they do is incredibly important. I think, um, unfortunately, that me- media in general has been minimized over the last several years. Um, I think that there are bad examples of media out there, but I think they are the minority. Um, I think newspaper writers and magazine writers, uh, print media, uh, still to this day is still the, the high watermark of journalists. Matter of fact, when someone comes to me and says, you know, I want to go be a television journalist, I say, well, why don't you become a good journalist first and maybe they'll hire you, um, but go work for a newspaper or a magazine because you'll, you'll learn how to do actual journalism and not infotainment. Um, I, think it's a, I think it's a big deal. So to any of our listeners who have any interest in this or have ever wondered where they should be going, you know, look at these, not necessarily fly by night online media outlets, but, you know, publications that have been in existence for a long time that have a, a real track record of journalistic excellence and, and perhaps most importantly, or not perhaps, but definitely most important, importantly, ethics. Uh, something that I know we're able to claim, and I know Catholic Philly is able to claim, and I certainly know that America has been able to claim over, uh, proclaim over all these years. So go find good, usable resources, and don't worry about what they say. Just listen. I mean, don't worry about if they have an agenda or a bias necessarily, but you know, read things from a variety of different outlooks because, yes, there is bias in media. That's why you need to go to multiple publications like I do, or just go to Twitter where everything's perfect. Oh, um, no, don't, don't do that. Stay away don't from do that. Although that is where I get most of my podcast information from. Um, so anyway, JD, thank you very much for, for joining. I really appreciate this. This has been an absolute pleasure. You are welcome back on the podcast anytime. Thank you. Yeah, it's been great to be here with you. And Pete, thank you very much for joining on and getting uh, JD in line and, uh, and always being here and doing great work. Thank you, Mike. Thank- and Jen, always a pleasure. And I, I appreciated the Murderers Row reference with the 1927 Yankees. So I, I feel very Babe Ruthian right now. So thanks. Well you. done. Well, thank you. We hit Jen- it out of the park. <laughs> oh, another race. Perfect. 
And Jen, thank you very much for jumping on and, and helping us with this and always being such a great managing editor who challenges me all the time and makes me lose my hair. Um, but thank you very much. And to our listeners, we'll uh, chat with you again next week. See everybody.